You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Well, good morning. So Miss Jones was teaching her fifth grade students, and they were learning about ocean life. And she mentioned that the largest mammal is a blue whale. Well, little Johnny raises his hand and says, Teacher, I learned in Sunday school that Jonah was swallowed up whole by a whale. The teacher forthrightly told the class, It's impossible for a whale to swallow up a man whole because its throat is too small. Johnny said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah if it was true and what it was like. What if Jonah didn't go to heaven, the teacher asked. Johnny replied, well, then you can ask him. The story of Jonah has always been one of my favorite Bible stories, and perhaps it's one of yours as well. It uh, sparks our imagination, and it fills up our mind with images like raging storms and an enormous fish and a worm. Oh, my. And although these are the parts of the story that I remember the most from my days as a young boy sitting in Sunday school, it's not what the story is about. In fact, the essence of the story of of Jonah, the the book of Jonah, isn't a story about Jonah or an enormous fish. It's not even a story about Nineveh. But through this story, we get to see the heart of our Heavenly Father, who is powerful, gracious, a compassionate God that is slow to anger, and He's abounding in love. In the Gospel of Luke, We read about these multitudes of people that were following Jesus, and they were watching as he was uh, performing all these many miracles, like feeding the 5,000 with just two fish and five loaves of bread. He cast out demons, and he raised the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, a synagogue leader, raised her back to life. But even though these uh, experts in the religious law saw all these miracles being performed. They demanded that Jesus show them a, a sign, a miracle that would prove that he was the Messiah. And we can read about this in Luke chapter 11, 29 and 30 says, as the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him is a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. And then we read what Jesus said in Matthew 1240. He says, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So I've titled today's message, A Calling, A Choice, and a Compassionate God. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, today as we gather in your presence and gather in your name, I pray that our ears would be open to hear your voice today. And may our hearts be inclined to receive from you and to draw near to you. Thank you for your grace, for your great love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, before I dive into the message, let me give you the historical background of the book of Jonah. It's historical because these events really happened. Jonah was a real person. He was a prophet in Israel in the 8th century B.C., around the same time as the prophets Amos and Hosea. And this was a really good time for Israel. We learn in 2 Kings that Jonah was a well-known and well-respected prophet. He was from an insignificant village named Gath-Hefer, which is located in Lower Galilee, just north of Nazareth. And this is the same Nazareth where Jesus grew up and lived until he began his ministry. And so Jonah prophesied that King Jeroboam II, even though he was an evil king, that he would win a great victory for Israel. And it came true. We read about this in 2 Kings 14, verse 25. It says, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Label Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. And so Israel expanded her borders just as Jonah had prophesied. And there was an excitement in the air as the people thought, well, maybe now God's going to bless Israel and they'll become the most prominent nation in the known world. Maybe now Israel will at last receive the promised inheritance. And maybe Jonah's prophecy is just the beginning. You know, Israel at this time was in the beginning stages of an economic boom, like they hadn't seen since the reign of King Solomon. Money was pouring in from all sides, and people were getting rich. And Jonah, well, Jonah, he was a celebrity. You know, he was God's man, a prophet. And God was using Jonah, so they thought, to give Israel everything they ever wanted. But there was a problem. You see, over in the east, just across the desert, there was another nation, Assyria, that was growing to stronger and stronger, and it could be argued that they were just as strong and just as rich as Israel. In fact, the two were in competition with each other. They were rivals, and if either one grew much more, then there would be war, and only one nation would survive. From history, we know that the Assyrians were one of the most ruthless and violent nations ever to exist. They were proud, extremely wicked, brutal, and their atrocities were horrific. And during this time, the capital city of Assyria was Nineveh, which brings us to our story. Point number one, a calling. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we read, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked this people are. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
And in the Bible, we see many ways that the Lord brought his message. He, he, used, uh, he uses the written word. He uses that inner, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. He uh, speaks to us through the advice of godly men and women. At times, God has used an audible voice. And we can read about how God used angels, dreams, visions, and even circumstances to convey his message. And so whether Jonah received uh, this message through an audible message from God, or if the message came through a different method, we're not told. But I can tell you from my own experience that sometimes the call of God is unexpected. Imagine with me, if you will, that Jonah is sitting in his backyard, sitting out by his pool, perhaps having a re relaxing alfresco breakfast, when all of a sudden he receives a word from the Lord. You know, it's kind of like the phone ringing the moment that you step into the shower. It's unexpected. You didn't plan for it. And this is where Jonah is. He heard again the word of the Lord. But this time, the message isn't about prospering Israel. Instead, it's a message that God was instructing Jonah to take to a ruthless enemy concerning their impeding judgment. Now, Jonah must have been aware of how the judgment of God had come upon the wicked in times past. God had sent a flood in the days of Noah to destroy all the inhabitants of the earth, saving only those who were safe inside a of the ark. God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Jonah must have been aware of this. And you would think that if God had said, in 40 days I'm going to destroy your enemy, that Jonah would have jumped on the opportunity to be the first one to announce it. I know if it was me, I would have been, woohoo! Yes, God! Go, Lord, pour out your wrath, wipe them out, let me send fire. <laughs> kind of like that feeling that you get when you're driving up the highway and somebody passes you on the right shoulder because they don't want to wait for the traffic to clear on the left. And as they come around, they throw gravel up on your windshield and you just watch them speed away. Well, somewhere deep down inside of you, you have that wish that you would see them pulled over by the highway patrol. <laughs> Perhaps you'd even slow down and smile and wave as you drive past. But sometimes God's call isn't what we want to hear. Imagine the same scenario. Car passes you on the right shoulder, throws gravel up on your windshield, speeds away. But this time, God has given you the individual's cell phone number. And he has instructed you to call them and warn them that just a little ways up the road, the highway patrol is monitoring traffic. And they should slow down or they might receive a citation. Well, God told Jonah to warn the people of Nineveh that in 40 days they would be overthrown. And this word overthrown is interesting because it has a dual meaning. It can be used the same way that we would use broken, and it can be external, as in the sense of destruction, like in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Or it can be internal, meaning to be repentant, as in having a broken and contrite heart. Now, Jonah's aware of God's character. In Exodus, Numbers, Psalms, the book of Joel, we read that God is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And he knew that if the people of Nineveh repented, that they would receive mercy. And so Jonah finds himself confronted with a choice. Point number two is a choice. God told Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. But we see in verse 3 that Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. That's just fun to say. Everybody say Tarshish. Isn't that fun? And so he bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by selling to Tarshish. And so what we're seeing here is that Jonah tried to run away from God. Why would he do that? God told Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. And Jonah got up and ran away. Have you ever wanted to run away? There are two times in my life when I've wanted to run away. The most recent was three years ago. I was performing a routine installation on one of our storage systems. And I made a cabling mistake. And in trying to correct my mistake, 250 of our servers on our network, they lost their drives and we, we couldn't do business and we're in the healthcare business. And so this is a big deal. Everybody's back to trying to find a pen and paper. And so it took two and a half hours for us to get these systems back online and so that business could resume. And after the dust had kind of settled a little bit, I was returning to my desk down from the data center in the basement up to my desk at the second floor. And the elevator stopped on the first floor and in stepped the president of our corporation. And the door shut. And so it's just me and him inside the elevator. And he turned to me and he said, so what happened exactly? You ever feel like you're in one of those candy bar commercials? You want to get away? That was me, and I had to confess to him that it was my fault. And uh, fully expecting that I was going to get fired, but thank God I didn't. But the first time that I ever wanted to run away, I was about five or six. And I remember I didn't want to clean my room. And so in my best five-year-old penmanship, I wrote a note that only my mom could probably decipher and read. And I remember giving her the note with tear-filled eyes, fully expecting her to say, Oh, my darling son, it was wrong of me to expect for you to clean your room. Please don't run away. But mom showed no emotion. She took a paper sack and she neatly packed a change of clothes for me. She took a toy car and she placed that in there along with the stuffed lion that I would sleep with. She would put that in the bag and along with some cookies, you know, just till I could land on my feet. And 
I remember the remorse that I felt that morning as I walked out the front door with my mom waving goodbye to me (laughs) on my own. And we lived in a small trailer park, and there was an empty lot, maybe about 15 feet from our front door, and there was a, a tree in that lot. And I remember I sat down under this tree, and I was crying and eating my cookies, and I remember looking at the back, back home, you know, and, and seeing my mom looking out the kitchen window from time to time to check on me, and I couldn't take it any longer. I had been on my, my own now for probably about 10 minutes, and my heart was just broken, and I remember like the prodigal son just thinking to myself, I'm going to go home, I'm going to clean my room, I'm going to beg for forgiveness, you know, and, and that's what I did. True story. Well, Jonah isn't the only person in the Bible who has resisted to obey God. We read about Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah, and they all argued with God. But Jonah bluntly refused to obey He had convinced himself that he was right, and he was determined not to carry out God's orders. Jonah was aware that God was extending mercy to Israel's enemy, and he didn't want God to answer their prayers. He didn't want anything to do with it, and so he physically removed himself from the scene by running away. But at least Jonah was honest about it, right? So often we agree to do God's will but then we end up doing our own will instead. We pray for guidance, but our attitude is really, Lord, show me your will so I can decide whether or not I want to do it. Have you ever thought, boy, wouldn't it be great if God would clearly and audibly direct me? Then I would know where I was supposed to go, what I was supposed to do. Well, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but Jonah chose not to listen. Instead, he chose to do the opposite of what God had commanded. God told Jonah, go 550 miles east to Nineveh. But Jonah headed west, the opposite direction, towards Tarshish, which is 2,000 miles away on the far east coast of, of Spain. He was told to travel to a city, but instead he headed out to sea. He was told to stand up and preach, but we're about to see him lie down and fall asleep. How disobedient can you be? Jonah foolishly thinks that he can run away from God, much the same way that Adam and Eve thought that they could hide from God in the garden after they had sinned. Psalm 139 shows us how futile it is to think that we can run away or hide from God. The psalmist wrote, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. 
If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even if even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. God could have easily just let Jonah go away. After all, he had other prophets that he could send to deliver his message. God, after all, had spoken through a donkey one time to straighten out a man named Balaam. But we see that God didn't give up. God pursued Jonah. In verse 4, the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break up the ship. And fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw cargo overboard, trying to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hole. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then they cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods. It reminds me of when I was young and we would play hide and seek. And you're trying to pick the person that was going to be it. And you would all stand in a circle and it would be one potato, two potato, three potato, four, five potato, six potato, seven potato, more. My mama told me to pick the very best one, and you are not it. And the cast lot fell on Jonah. And so the sailors begin to ask him questions, almost like switching games. Now they're playing 20 questions. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting all the worse, they asked him, what must we do to you? To stop this storm. Now you would think that the logical thing that Jonah would have said is, you know, pull over at the next Circle K or, or take the next exit and head back toward the direction of Nineveh. But instead he says, throw me overboard. Throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. You see, Jonah would rather die than see his enemy spared from the destruction that they so rightly deserved. But the sailors feared that the same God who was causing this storm would turn his fury on them if they killed his prophet. So instead, the sailors tried as hard as they could to roll towards the shore. But the storm was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked Jonah up and they threw him into the raging sea. And that moment, 
the storm stopped at once. And the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice. And they vowed to serve him. I just think it's neat to see that even in this situation, that God had the compassion to spare these men, these sailors, and to show his greatness in calming this storm such that it was proof to them that immediately they offered him sacrifice and they vowed to serve him only. So point number three is a compassionate God. You know, sometimes it doesn't seem fair. God never lets me get away with anything. And I've told my kids this, you know, don't even try to get away with it. You've got my genes in you. It's a genetic thing. God won't let you get away with anything. I either always get caught or I get so convicted that I have to immediately tell what I did wrong. And let me give you an example of this, how God has spared me from the use of tobacco. It was between my junior and senior year of high school, and summer break was just coming to an end when I had this good friend that introduced me to the coolness of smoking cigarettes. And for a week, I snuck around and I hid the cigarettes in my socks and under the mattress of my bed, thinking that I was getting away with it. I was being sneaky. But what I didn't realize is that cigarette smoke lingers in your hair and on your clothes. And I'm not that bright. I chose the two most obvious places to hide my cigarettes where parents look in my sock, and under my mattress. And so one day in conversation with my mom, for no apparent reason to me, she asked, how long have you been smoking? I was shocked and embarrassed because I thought I was getting away with it. And I had to confess one week. However, I tried chewing tobacco twice while growing up. And once again, as an adult, when I started working in the mine. And every time I got so sick that I vowed I would never do it again. All three times. <laughs> and as I look back over my life, I'm able to see how compassionate God has been in protecting me. He's allowed me to get caught, to become sick, to feel conviction. And in doing so, he's kept me from many of the things that have destroyed the lives of some of my friends and their families. And so we see this pattern, you know, when we try to run away, when we try to live independently of God, we see this pattern of your life begins this downward spiral. Jonah went down to the port city of Joppa in order to get away from God. And at first, it looks like everything's going to be great. Fire didn't fall from the sky. And look, there's a boat that's leaving to Tarshish. God has opened the door. It seems like everything is going well. And so he's able to buy a ticket and get on board. 
We see that he's so comfortable in his sin that he's able to go down into the cargo area of the ship and fall asleep. And he slept so soundly that when the storm began and it was now threatening to destroy the ship, the captain had to go down and wake him up. You know, our sin doesn't just affect us, but it affects everybody around us. Finally, we see that Jonah has sunk to the lowest place that he's ever been in his life, and he finds himself in the belly of a great fish. Now, Jonah was still defiant. He was still running away from God when he asked the sailors to throw him into the sea and end his life. But God didn't give up on Jonah. In fact, God doesn't give up on any of us. He pursues us. And he desires that we come back to him. And he'll be creative in finding ways to get us to that place where we can be drawn back. We'll be confronted with that choice. Verse 17 says that the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now at the end of this time, as his life was slipping away, Jonah prays. And God shows him mercy by causing this great fish to vomit him out on the beach. Once again, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Go to Nineveh and preach. And this time we see that Jonah obeyed. I mean, wouldn't you? So we see that God has compassion, not just on us, but on all people. Jonah arrives in Nineveh. His skin is bleached white from the stomach acid of the fish. His clothes are tattered. Perhaps he has dried seaweed wrapped around him. And he preaches an eight-word warning, just as God instructed. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Then Jonah sat down on a hill overlooking the city, and he just sat there and waited to see what God was going to do. He was waiting to watch God destroy the city. But to his great disappointment, after delivering this message to the 120,000 people that lived in Nineveh, they humbled themselves. They repented. And God had mercy on them and didn't destroy the city. God had compassion on Nineveh, so he sent Jonah to them. The reluctant prophet. But his great compassion goes further. God has compassion on the whole world. And this is why he sent his son. Jesus was sent not only to preach but to give his life for us. And this is the sign of Jonah. Not only was Jesus in the grave for three days and three nights, but that through his death, burial, and resurrection, all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, can have access to God's mercy and grace through faith in Jesus. Second Peter 3.9 tells us that God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to come to repentance. But truthfully, sometimes I think that our attitude is like Jonah. 
We're thankful when God has shown us grace and when we've received mercy. But when we see God reaching out to those that we feel deserve to be uh, judged and don't deserve to receive any mercy, we set ourselves up as their judge and instead of allowing God to deal with them with his goodness and grace. And God's inviting you and me to join him in his work as ministers of reconciliation. We're to go into all the world and share the good news that Jesus, God's son, came into this world to bring man back into right standing with God the Father through his death, burial, and resurrection. Today, if you're running from God, it means you're going the wrong direction. And my prayer is that you would not be stubborn like Jonah and try to go your own way and live independently from Christ, but that you would be more like Isaiah who said, here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me, Lord. And so we must repent of our self-centeredness. In James chapter 4, we read, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, humble yourselves, therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So let me ask you this question. Are you willing to extend the same love, grace, mercy that you've received from your heavenly Father? Are you willing to extend that towards others? Perhaps God has been speaking to you this morning and maybe bringing to mind the name or the face of an individual that he wants you to go and share the love of Christ with. To share the good news that forgiveness for sin and eternal life is available to anyone who puts their trust in Jesus. Maybe like Jonah, you've been running away from God. Your life has been spiraling downward as you've tried to live independent. And you find yourself at the lowest place where you've ever been in your life. Remember this. If you're running from God, you're going the wrong way. Know that God is powerful. He's gracious. He's full of compassion. But he's also patient. And he will pursue you. And he will be creative in ways that will get you to the place where you have that choice either to accept him or to run away and reject him. So stop running. Change direction. Repent. Start running to God so you can start running with God. Today, if this describes you, and you're ready to change your direction, I'd like to lead you in a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. And you can pray this right where you're sitting. So every head bowed, no one looking around. Heavenly Father, you are the one who knows my heart and my motives. I've tried to live my life without you, and I've made such a mess of it. Please forgive me of my stubbornness and my selfishness. I need you in my life, and I open my heart today to receive Jesus. I confess that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins.
And I believe that he rose from the dead on the third day, just like the Bible said that he would. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me, for loving me, for being so gracious. And I choose to follow Jesus from this day forward in the fellowship of your church. Amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer with me, would you mark it on your connection card? And then don't leave without telling someone that today you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.